Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. So we looked at a few definitions of love last week, and one of them was, I love the first word, unselfish. That just cuts out almost every form of love we've seen before when we say that first word, unselfish. Benevolent concern for other persons and interest in the well-being of the one being loved. This type of love is driven by the essence of God. This type of love says, you don't have to give me anything. I'm actually looking out for you. I'm actually caring for you. And the way that I love you is not contingent upon your response. It's not contingent upon your reaction. I am just love itself. This is my essence. I can always only be this way to you. That's what God is telling us. And when we really define this type of love, we realize the way that God is loving us is the way we've always wanted to be loved. We've always really wanted this. But because we haven't known his form, we've been looking for it in all the wrong places and coming up empty. So Jesus steps in and says, I know what you're looking for. I'm him. I'm the essence of everything that you really want and you desire. I believe that the love of God is pure and it's whole. And, and the fact that he doesn't demand a response means that he's completely sufficient in himself. Meaning because he's not lacking anything, he doesn't have to demand anything from you. But we love people with those conditions. Well, I'm missing security, so that means you need to love me in that way. Or I'm missing comfort, so you need to love me in this way. And because we are not operating in abundance, we're looking outside of ourselves to obtain something that God wants to actually place in us. And, and so the cycle continues where we repeat all these other relationships and these other things, and we're wondering, why does it keep failing? Well, because you're going from a source who's not abundant to another source. Like, if you're not abundant and I'm not abundant, then where does, where does it come from? If I'm empty and you're empty, how are we going to get full? Marriages start off on this premise. The other half, my better half, and, and all these things. And it's just like, no, there needs to be two holes with Christ in the center empowering love for both of you or else. You will not be able to sustain. You will not be able to have a thriving, healthy relationship. And so the culture has said, I'm missing a part of me. And there's somebody else in the world that is my other part of me. When God created you as a whole being and provided you himself. And he wanted whole people to join together with him at the center to display the love that he has for humanity. Mm. When we allow Jesus to love us, he aligns our hearts, he aligns our focus, he aligns our priority, and he helps us recognize what love is really like. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that the love of God is patient, kind, not arrogant or boastful that it doesn't keep a record of your wrongdoing or rejoice in wrongdoing, but he rejoices in truth. We found out that love covers, that word bear all things means covers all things. He is a refuge and a safety. We can see all of these things in the person of Jesus. So how do we respond to this beautiful love? Because I think last week it was important to define what love is according to God. Now we have to figure out how do we receive it? 
here's the trick, right? Because I've seen Jesus so pure. I've seen his love so pure. But if I'm honest, that type of love that has no conditions, that just accepts me for who I am, that love scares me. That love makes me go, whoa, whoa, what's the catch, right? Because we're used to conditional love from human beings. We think, okay, God, you're really telling me that there's no strings attached to this, that I can just jump in and it's going to be safe. I'm not familiar with that, so how do I reconcile that, right? And so we get to a place where we realize that the demonstration of love gives us the courage to accept it. And he's patient. He knows that it takes time of you seeing him consistently and and seeing his faithfulness over and over and over. And when he says he's patient, he's really patient. He's not saying, didn't I already show you already that I loved you in this way? He's going, I would love to show you again. I've said this many times. God does not mind repeating history with you, however long it takes for you to believe his heart. That's what love does. Love doesn't say, well, I've got... Four more times to show you, and then after that, I'm done. No, he's abundant. He's sufficient in himself. He's not lacking from your response. So he's got as much love to give as you're willing to receive, (laughs) and more than that. And, And so when we get to a place where we're allowing God to lead us in that way and to teach us those things, then the response becomes a demonstration of our own. See, It's funny because I was studying this and I was like, well, if we're showing love as a demonstration towards us, then what is love as a demonstration back to him? And you can get tricky with the language because people are thinking like, oh, am I supposed to like show him by my works or show him by all these things? And then all of a sudden we go into proving and, and no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But I do believe that love is active on both sides. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to actively pursue love with Christ because it is an exchange. Mm. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? His answer, you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So we see that there's all of our faculties have the capability of responding to God with love. And it's not just emotions. So it's important to God that we love him. But love for him looks different than what we expect. Love for him is not an outlandish act or a particular um, thing that we do that people can just say, oh, I know that person loves God. It's really about a heart posture. One of the ways that we can really love God is through obedience. Uh-oh, I said it. So... Let's be honest, the word obedience has gotten a bad rap. As soon as I said obedience, they're like, oh man, no, you did not come in here. You just talked about receiving love of God, now you're talking about obey, obey. Yeah, I did, because even I cringe a little when I hear the word sometimes, right? Because the word that we're thinking of is compliance. The word we're thinking of is blind submission with no passion. We're we're thinking of at our jobs when we have to obey our boss, which means I don't really like you, but I want to keep what you gave me, so I guess I got to do this. See, we get it wrong when we hear the word obedience because we're associating with the human experience. We think that obedience is compliance, and compliance means you have no choice. Obedience says I'm choosing your way because I trust your heart. I'm preaching right now. So the next time you hear obedience, make it a relational term. Because Jesus always obeyed the Father. 
But you know what it looked like? Joyful submission to trusting his heart. That's how you love God. Man, shouldn't have worn this sweatshirt. I'm hot already. <laughs> so you associated obedience with following the rules. But Jesus sees obedience as a natural response to trust. Put that in your journal. When you naturally trust the heart of the one who's leading you, obedience is just the way the relationship works. It is not about following the rules. It's about following the heart and knowing that everywhere the heart of God is taking you is a good place. Obedience is surrendering the fight in your mind to be the one who has to control everything and know everything and have all the answers. Obedience is about saying joyfully, I'm going to submit to God because he just knows more than me. And he's been killing this thing. So if he can do, you know, all of these things through Jesus, then I can trust what he's going to do in my life. And then obedience becomes a joy and not something that we cringe at and we think God is trying to control me. He's trying to, you know, manage all these details in my life. No, trust says, I know that when you understand my heart, you will not think that way about my commands or the things that I tell you to do. Like when trust is there, it's not even a command. It's an invitation to life, the life that we were always supposed to have. So for me, you know, obedience has become letting God intertwine with my life and offer insight and wisdom and encouragement. Obedience for me has become when I have a situation, instead of me kicking, screaming and fighting the person, I'm going, hey, God, what do you think I should do? I have this situation and I want to address this conflict and I think, I think you probably would know the best way to do this so that I could preserve this relationship. Obedience is always asking, God, what are you thinking? What are you seeing? What are you empowering me to do here? That's liberating. Because who wants to try to figure out every detail of how to maintain all of their relationships in your own strength? I'll wait. None of y'all, right? <laughs> Man, we got, this, we got this God who's sitting up here with all wisdom. And then we'll be grinding stuff out. Man, our head is hurting trying to think of stuff. And he's like, hello, I can help you with that. If you ask me, I can tell you what, what, what you can do. And I'm like, oh, no, God, is cool. I just call you for the big stuff, but I got, oh, yeah. Because we think that God is only concerned about the big stuff. And that his heart is, you take care of those little things that are insignificant. And, and then when there's something that's really beyond you, then come holler at me. No, no, no. Everything is beyond you. <laughs> there's nothing that's insignificant to God. There's no detail of your life that he doesn't want to be a part of. And it's not because he's fearful of your failure or he's trying to micromanage you. It's because he knows where life is. He knows where the substance of your joy is. And he knows which decisions will lead to life and which decisions will not lead to life. And he cares. He cares about our human experience. He cares about what we go through day in and day out. He's all about us. And he's there. He's present. So obedience says, I don't want to trust myself more than I trust God. Obedience says, I don't want to lean on my own understanding. Like the proverb said, I want to acknowledge you in all of my ways because your ways are life. Your ways always produce goodness. Your ways always produce peace. Your ways always produce joy. Even in the hard stuff, your ways are still making that. Amen. I don't know where that came from. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and, and I get to this point where I'm like, you know, it's a daily thing. 
there's certain things that I just do and I'm like, I know how to do this. And I'm like, it's fine. You don't have to tell me. But then the Lord is like, well, what if there's a better way that you've never asked me? And I'm like, wow, you know, that's a good point. Um, Because my way is like, I'm about to tell this person what's up and they're going to be cool and we're going to move on. Then the Lord is like, but what about their heart? I was like, you know, I didn't really think about that part. <laughs> I just knew I was going to feel better when I did it, right? <laughs> so, like, that aspect of God's heart, he's had to be like, slow down. Stop trying to fight people. Recognize who the real enemy is and consider the heart of the person that you're dealing with. Obedience taught me that because I didn't know. And I could have ruined some very very good relationships had I not submitted to God and said, you know what, I don't even want to have a conversation with this person until I've prayed, until I've asked the Lord, what is the best way to handle my heart and their heart? Because the goal is love, right? If love is the goal, then then it has to be the motive. It can't be to be right. It can't be to win. It can't be to have one leg up over somebody. No, that can't be the motivation. Love has to be the motivation if you're bringing God into it. Amen. A lot of times, I really just need the Lord to tell me what to do. Like, I don't know about you. Some of y'all like to do all their thinking and stuff like that. And God bless y'all. There is, it's something good for that, you know. <laughs> the people who can turn things over and over and over in their heads all the time. I, my brain capacity just, like, does not have it. I have tried to, like, think about stuff for a long time, and then I'd be like, wait, what was I thinking about? I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, but I just can't really do that. And I guess it's to my advantage because I just go to God first now. I don't even try to, like, do the math. I'm like, didn't you already figure this problem? Tell me the answer. (laughs) That's like me having all the answers to the test and still going, but I want to work it out myself. Do you want an A or not? (laughs) You better take them answers. (laughs) I'm not about to be crunching no numbers when you already figured out the equation. I'm just going to be like, what you say? Put right here. Number one is this. Okay, say it again. This ain't cheating. Oh, okay, cool. Number two is this. And I'm winning at life. And it's because I'm asking God for the answers and everybody else over here um, trying to figure out the equation. No, I'm cool. He said he had the answer. So I'm just either I'm lazy or I'm smart. I don't know which one. (laughs) But I'm about to ask God. (laughs) I'm about to ask him because I get tired. I'll be like, what number was I on? Uh Uh-uh. Just tell me the answer. So I've gotten to the place where obedience says I'll wait as long as it takes because I do not want to get this wrong. Not again. I don't like retaking tests. Do y'all like retaking tests? Okay. (laughs) I'm telling you, I got to the point where I was like, I don't want to retake any exams. I want my lessons one time. So you know how you do that? You listen to the Lord and you wait on him. You know there was moments in Jesus' ministry where people were telling him to do something that seemed like a good thing. But because he valued the heart of God over the demand of the people, he said no. He told people no, because what God had him doing over here was actually better. And sometimes a good idea is not a God idea. And we have to ask him because he's considering so many aspects of that decision that we cannot see. We do not have foreknowledge. We don't know what is the consequence of one decision versus 10 or 12 throughout the day or more, you know. So we get to the point where we're resting in the fact that he knows better. And that we can trust his heart for us. So that brings me to John 14, 15. 
Jesus makes a statement that I think sometimes we misunderstand. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the if is not a conditional threat. It's not if you really love me, you'll do what I say. It's not pressure. It's not, you know, um, well, you're just not going to get my love if, if you don't. Like, we use if in that way. But when I started looking up this word, it actually has another definition. It's in the case. Hmm. In the case of. In other words, when you love me, obedience will come. In the case that you decide to receive my love, the byproduct of us loving each other is you responding to what I say without question. That's good, right? When we realize that this is in the case that you decide that this is the way you want to go, here's the product of a loving relationship with me. You'll do what I've asked, or you'll do what I suggest, you'll do what I recommend. And, and even the word there, keep, means you'll start to survey, you'll start to pay attention to, you'll start to value what he's saying, not just keep as in compliance. This is why we got to read our Bibles and like study definitions because we can take a text like this and we can take a line like this and go, oh man, so if I'm not doing his commandments, then I'm not loving. And then we get in a pit and we get frustrated with ourselves and we beat ourselves up and it's just like, no, he's telling you if in the case you decide that this is the way you want to go, you will start to agree with me more often. Ain't it? Thank you, Lord, for revelation and for understanding because we need to be able to trust God's intention in his heart. But also we have to challenge things and say, all right, maybe I don't understand what this word means. Let me unpack this a little bit more. Let me find out what is the heart of God really saying in this moment. And when we do that, we get so blessed. But I also love that in the previous verses of this chapter, Jesus is reminding us that the Holy Spirit is the one that's empowering this kind of love and this response to God. Again, he's setting us up to win. He's not saying that you have to reason in yourself. He's saying, I have given you the comforter, a teacher, a spirit of God in you that will recognize what is God and will recognize what is not. And you will always lean into the spirit. You'll always lean into the heart of God for these things. And it'll be a good relationship. He's empowering everything that he's asking with himself. So we get it. He's setting us up for goodness, man, in every single way, especially in our relationship with him. I mean, when we realize that the power of the spirit is in us and he's leading us, guess what happens? We start to adopt his perspective just like Jesus. We surrender our right to be right and simply ask the Lord what his will is because we know whatever he says is best. When we receive the love of God, we no longer hide certain areas from him, afraid that he'll touch those things. We expose them open because we're like, we know you're going to heal. We know that you're going to lead us well. This is the mindset that you have when you let the spirit of God teach you what love is. That surrender is not this, you know, oh God, I guess I got to give in. It's like, oh, I get to enjoy. I get to let go of my own reasoning and my own way of doing life that Trust me, I'm hit or miss when I make my own decisions. But when I trust God, he gets it right. I appreciate him for that. Thank you, Lord. So <laughs> when we receive the love of God, 
we realized that we're not desiring control anymore because the only reason why we wanted to control was from fear. And when perfect love casts out your fear, you don't have a desire to control. Amen. There's a part of you that says, you know what? I'm actually good with giving you my life to see what you can do. I'm actually more comfortable with you calling the shots because I called some shots and it was like terrible. <laughs> it's like, hey, we need an audible on that one. <laughs> like somebody come in and change the play because I messed that up, right? And so I want God to come in and be like, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Let's do something else. And I'm like, you know, I'm listening to that a lot more clearly now because I recognize his voice. I recognize his heart for me and I can just feel it. I don't know how to describe it. It's not like a, just a pit in your stomach, but like maybe a little butterfly, like, oh, snaps. I didn't ask the Lord. And the closer you get to him, you're like, I didn't ask you, did I? He's like, no. I'm like, okay, I thought, I thought that's what you was doing. And so I just paused. So I was telling one of my friends the other day, I was like, you know, just because you have a situation, it doesn't mean you have to respond immediately. There's a lot of times we feel like, I got to hit this on the head right now. I got to deal with this right now because, you know, I'm a challenger and I like to fight. And so <laughs> the Lord has had to teach me, you do have an option B. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> do nothing? He's like, Yes. I'm like, oh, no, God. So how is it going to get worked out if I don't fight? Because I like to fight, you know. Um, and not fist fight. I mean word fight, which is even worse. But um, <laughs> um, let me clarify that. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Because they be like, this preacher over here, she be like punching people? No. Nah. <laughs> let me clarify. I fight with my words, but that's still not good. Um, because words have power. They have weight. And so when I'm quick to respond with my words, because I think I'm avenging myself, actually I'm putting myself in more bondage when I think that I'm using my emotions and my passion and all these things against someone who's hurt me actually I'm wounding myself in the process because when God shows me the real way that he wanted me to handle it I'm coming to a place where I change my perspective but I can't take back what I said and we can't pull in you know those things and go I, I didn't mean that yeah but I heard it and it already affected me and so you get to a place where you're like I recognize I don't need to say anything right now. And that takes great courage to be quiet when you know you can fight. When you know you can say something. When you know that you have the right response to hit that person in that little nerve. But you step back and you ask God, all right, what's really going on here? And if I'm honest, a lot of times when I'm quick to anger, it's because I'm tired, I'm hungry. I haven't been in the presence of God. I haven't been letting him touch some areas in my life that he wants to touch. So then I'm demanding from other people things that I'm supposed to be getting from the Lord. I'm talking to somebody. And then I have to start all over, right? So why not from the beginning submit your way to the Lord? Why not from the top of that thing go, all right, I know what I usually do, but what should I do? Amen. What I like about, you know, this process with us trusting God is that it gives us so much rest. We don't have to be overwhelmed with the cares of life. Like we really can have this joy knowing that God has gone before us, that his plans are good for us. And that anything that he's asking of us, he's already providing for us in the way that he is going to equip whatever he's asking by his spirit, by his presence, with his love. And so it's a, a constant reality of the life of the believer that we don't have to guess whether or not God's intentions are pure. We don't have to guess whether or not it's good because it's God. So it's going to be good. Now, 
It may be uncomfortable. It may be something that you're not used to. It may be something that you don't have a reference for. Because I did not really know how to just be quiet. <laughs> you can ask my daddy. <laughs> the only thing I used to get in trouble for ever since I was little was my mouth. And it was just born to me. I had a smart mouth. And that's just how it always was. And, you know, after a couple of whoopings, I realized that ain't the way <laughs> to communicate. But if I can be honest with you, in my adult life, that childlike mannerism, it still surfaced. And it was just like, man, either I'm like a knucklehead, I'm like really, really, or this is just who I am. And the Lord had to channel that and say, there's a purpose for you being a fighter. There's a purpose for you talking back. But you're supposed to be using that against the enemy. That's another thing that happens when we have these tendencies in these ways that we haven't yet submitted to God. We think he wants to change that. No, he wants to repurpose that and let us focus on what it's really for. I know what my mouth is for now to declare against the enemy that he will not have my family to speak life over people whenever they're speaking death. And for me to be able to tell the enemy where he can go. So that mouth is good for something. That fighter in me is good for something because I fight for all of y'all in prayer. I fight for your families. I'm fighting for the kingdom of God to be advanced. So I was supposed to be a fighter. I was just choosing the wrong battle. But when obedience becomes a product of love, the parts of you that you thought you had to hate, you start to love about yourself because you see that God had a purpose for it. I'm preaching to somebody. This is the real truth. And this is why it's so important to surrender our ways to the Lord. Because he's like, I actually can use that, Siobhan. I actually do not condemn you for being who you are. I just want to show you where that belongs for the kingdom. And I've been doing it ever since. And it feels good to use that part of you that naturally is you for the right reasons, for the right purpose. It's exciting that I can use my words for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So now when I'm fighting, I know who my real enemy is and people are experiencing breakthrough and freedom. And that is good. So that means I don't have to hate parts of myself that I used to use in the wrong way. I get to celebrate them because now under obedience, they are making a difference in people's lives. Amen. Everything that the Lord does is with love in mind and goodness is the outcome. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's not what you planned, even if it takes a little while for you to see what's good about it, it will be good. Amen. So just in case we were wondering if this obedience thing is a big deal to Jesus, let's look at the next chapter. John 15 we just looked at John 14. Now we're looking at John 15 just to let you know. He's still talking about this, right? Let's jump down to verse 9. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And this is such a powerful statement. I pray that the Lord will show us what we really have when it comes to love. It's so much deeper than we can imagine. But just to give us a point of reference, Jesus reminds us to pay close attention to his relationship with the Father as he was on earth. I found this really cool quote in the commentary. I think she got it up. We acquire confidence in Jesus' love for us because it's modeled on God's love for him. Assurance is closely related to our knowledge of Christ's love. That's really good. 
Of all the things that we can observe about the life of Jesus, aside from the miracles, outside from the sacrifice, outside from all the things that have been depicted in the gospel, one of the most beautiful and intimate parts that I feel like God really wants us to focus in on is the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the Father. That Christ's love was reciprocated back to God in the form of obedience. And one of my favorite examples is when the heavens open up, before Jesus begins any earthly ministry, which would be our moment of thinking this is significant, right? Before he ever steps and does his first miracle, ever calls his disciples, he's just been on this earth for 30 years, nobody knowing who he really is in obscurity. And what does God do before he ever does any ministry? He opens up the heavens at his baptism and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It is so important for us to see that this affirmation is not connected to anything that Jesus is doing, but it's connected to who he is. When we see this exchange of love, we realize this is the same affirmation that God is saying about us. This is the same affirmation that Jesus is testifying of us, that he is well pleased because we exist. He is well pleased because we were made before we ever do anything for him or with him. We were his beloved. And when we see the example of the exchange of love between God the Father and God the Son, we can put ourselves right in the middle of that and know that's the way we're loved. This is powerful, guys. This imagery is not something for us to long for and to covet. It's for us to enjoy because we're in it. I think so many times I've had the wrong mindset and I've gone, oh, look at the relationship between Jesus and God the Father. And, and, and because Jesus was so perfect, that's exactly why he's loving him that way. Lies. It's because of his being, because he is a son. And he makes it very clear that what Jesus was doing was not the source of their love and affection. It's who Jesus is. So we insert ourselves in the same narrative. And when we see that exchange in the gospels, we realize that's where we fit. I'm preaching, y'all. This is encouraging me because there's so many times where I forget that this is the way the love of God works. So many times I forget that there's this beautiful narrative happening with all of us and that we're seeing the heart of God poured out towards us and we're responding to his love and it's just overflowing us with joy and peace. And we think, wow, this is for me. This was not just Jesus experience for us to look at. It's for our lives to live right now, not just in heaven, but right now here on earth. Love has already come here and expressed to us what we have. That's beautiful, man. I love it. When we see the love of Christ and we see his heart for us and we see the heart of the Father and how they just have this exchange, we're, we're right smack dab in the middle of that and it is the best place to be. I find comfort in knowing that's our reality. I find peace knowing that that's the way that we're loved. And it allows me to respond to God so much better. So much better. Verse 10 says, again, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Everything Jesus is inviting us into, he lived before us. He never asked us of anything he has not done. That's why I love Jesus so much. He, he knows our humanity. He understands our emotions and the way that we think. And he let us see what intimacy with the Father is like and invites us to, to participate in the same form of love. 
He didn't say, well, y'all going to get the watered down version because, you know, you're created beings. No, he said, you get the same form of love. It is for you. It is yours. I am yours. You are mine. And that is something that he is adamant about. And I believe he gives us that as a reassurance that that was always the design. Jesus himself said, I only do what the Father is doing. I only say what the Father is saying. And Jesus is trusting the heart of God so deeply that obedience was just relationship. It wasn't even, you know, a demand or a charge. It was just a natural expression. When people are in love, they do things with each other. They do things for each other. And it never feels like it's too much. Because abundant love always supplies. And so here we are in the middle of this beautiful exchange. Here we are at the center of perfect love. And we get to see what the Father is doing. Hear what he's saying. Do what he's saying. And love keeps growing in that place. Jesus always trusted even when it was hard. Jesus always believed the best even when the situation was not right or fair or the outcome was going to be painful, that never changed his perspective because he knew the heart of God so well. My prayer is that we see God's heart that way, that even a sacrifice becomes a joy to us because we realize the beauty and what God is doing in those moments. The word abide in this text actually means to remain. To remain in the love of God means to stay close to him, to let him speak to your heart, to open yourself to him, to hear what he's saying and anticipate that whatever he says is for your good. Verse 11, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Again, Jesus is telling us these things not just for um us to look at the example, but to say, the same joy that I had responding to God belongs to you. The same full joy that I experienced in my human life is your experience. Your joy will be made full because my joy is in you and my delight was to do the Father's will, so you're going to be excited about it too. Again, every time he's telling us something, he's providing himself he never leaves us without. He's always bringing himself right in. And it's a full life. It's a beautiful life. I believe that Jesus knew that this life in response to God was joyous. That true freedom was there. And we avoid so many snares and pitfalls when we're able to experience the fullness of what God has planned for us. It's a beautiful life that keeps peace at the center. This love is empowered and, in, and, and at the center is Christ. Like he's all in and he's supplying all of it. As we remain in him, we begin to see our life produce love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faith. And what a relief to know that we can trust the heart of God for us and that we never had to have everything figured out. We can just stay with him. Amen. As I close, I want to read um, the Passion Translation of that very same passage because they just say it so beautifully. It's like a love letter. John 15, 9 through 11 in the Passion says this. I love each of you 
with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commandments, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. We are continually nourished by his love. We have his joy. And when we begin to see love clearly, obedience is not a task to be done. It's a natural byproduct of a loving and secure relationship. We get to be connected to what God is doing and be close to him. It speaks to our identity and it reminds us that we have value, that we have purpose, that God believes in us and he believes in love. And I love this love. This love is the love that I've always wanted. This love is the love that I'm staying in. I'm staying in it. And I hope that you do the same. So we're going to go into a time of worship. The prayer team can come. You can stand. Uh, just however you want to respond in this moment, that's on you. But I really just wanted us to be able to just let the presence of God just speak to us. Like, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that everything that you've spoken in your word, everything that you said by your Holy Spirit is good for us. Thank you that you're changing our perspective of what obedience really is. And we're taking on a new approach to leaning into you, to trusting you. That this was not in a conditional statement, God, but this was an invitation. That in the case that we fall in love with you, we will naturally want to do what you're doing. We'll naturally want to say what you're saying. We'll naturally want to respond to you with great joy. And I believe that this is the inheritance of our lives as sons and daughters, that we are in the center of the most beautiful love, that we get a chance to be a part of this exchange where the desires of our heart are being fulfilled just by your presence, just by your person, just by us being connected to you. And then you get to love us like you've always wanted to. What a beautiful, beautiful relationship we have with you. I pray that you will give us the desire to discover more what that's like. That we'll begin to see so many more facets of your love and care in ways that we never have before. That when we're tempted to control out of fear, when we're tempted to want to try to call the shots, that instead we'll sit back and just say, God, what would you want me to do here? Because whatever you say, there's life. Whatever you say, there's peace, there's joy. Every time you make a decision, it's always good. So we trust you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. At the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also, help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.